we are talking about marriage. And marriage is key in building the life that God has for you, the life that God has for us. This whole series is called Build, and really going through the book of Ephesians is looking at how God wants to build your life, how God has a vision for your life and can build it into something more than what we can do on our own. Not everyone in here is married, but many of you, if you're not married, will be married, and marriage is essential to discuss what it means and what it looks like to build the life that God has for us. All of us have seen or experienced, all of us have seen broken marriages. I come from a broken family. All of us have seen the the effects of that, whether personally or you've uh, experienced it yourself or you've seen it around you and the hurt and the damage that that causes. All of us have probably seen cold marriages. Again, whether you experience that yourself or know those that have experienced it, we can know and see cold marriages, marriages where there was once love and excitement and it's just kind of become a ship's passing in the night. It's just become cold. All of us have seen that. As a, as a pastor, I have done lots of weddings. I've done lots of pre-marriage counseling. I've done lots of marriage counseling and seen a lot of the hurt that happens in marriage. I've seen lots of the beauty and the joy that happens in marriage and lots of the healing that God can do in marriage. In the U.S., the marriage rate has gone down 60% in the last 50 years, the amount of people that are married. And so when we talk about marriage, it's, it's an important topic to building a life. And yet even in our culture, marriage isn't valued in the way that it should be. Divorce rates are high. Cohabitation rates are high. Marriage is often treated as just very casual, or maybe it's even just this thing that is for my happiness, my romance, and yet miss what God's vision is for marriage. God designed marriage, and he has a beautiful vision of what it is. God has a beautiful picture of what it is. His design is beautiful and wise and powerful and actually has the ability to change you into being a different and better kind of person and has the vision and the ability to shine forth the good news of who God is through your marriage. God's design and what he intends for marriage to be is so much more than how we often treat it or how our culture often views it. But we have to ask, what is God's pattern then for marriage? What is God's design for marriage. We have to know something's design in order to thrive. Like a fish is a beautiful animal, kind of. Uh, But a fish is great. Fish is great, but it's designed not to be on land. A fish on land is just kind of flopping around and does that like thing, you know. But a fish in water swims and is free and is able to go where it wants and dart all over the place and it's fast and it's beautiful and it's colors, but a fish on land is dying because things have to be what they are designed to be in order to fulfill the beauty and the purpose and the strength of what it is for. And so if we want, and listen, this is what God wants for you. If we want marriage to be all that it can be, to be the beauty it can be, to be the strength it can be, to be the the gospel picture that it can be, we have to say, how did God design it? 
did this just kind of fall onto the earth and we can just kind of make it whatever we want it to be? Or, or, or is there a wise, loving, powerful God that designed it and we will thus most flourish when we step into what his design is? So that's what we are looking at. How do we live into God's vision for marriage? What is God's design and God's pattern and how can we more fully experience that? Now listen, some of you are married. This will be directly applicable to you. Some of you maybe are thinking about getting married or you're dating. This is directly applicable to you as you begin to consider some of these things. Some of you are just friends with married people. You just look at them and go, yes, I see that condition that you have. And to be good, to be good friends to someone that's a married person, we, we need to learn and grow. What does it just mean to be, as you're a part of a church community, we need to understand what it looks like, what marriage is, God, how God's picture in marriage looks, so we can just be good friends and be good community to one another. So this is something that God gives to all of us in various ways. Some of you have great marriages, and God wants to speak to you to strengthen you, because there's always more that we can experience. Some of you are struggling in your marriage. And I know that not necessarily because you have said, I'm really struggling, but because statistically speaking, as a pastor, I know that that is the case in many people's lives. God wants to speak to you. Isn't it amazing? The fact that God even speaks to marriage, that means God cares about your marriage. The fact that God would put something in the Bible, and this is just one section, it's all throughout the Bible, the, God, the fact that God speaks into marriage means God cares about your marriage. And God wants to build it into something beautiful and strong and better and something more than what we can make on our own. So how do we step into what God's design is, what God's pattern is? That's what we're going to look at. This is the second week. Today, we're going to look at what God speaks to wives. Last week, we looked at what God speaks to husbands. And so if you uh, if you weren't here last week, I would strongly urge you to go back and listen to last week. If you're a man or a woman, I would strongly urge you to go back because this is part two. If you ever watch like a TV show and you are miniseries and you only watch the second episode, you're gonna be like, ah, but this didn't happen or I don't understand this. You got to watch the first episode. So go back, watch the first episode. If you missed what God had to say that we looked at to husbands. And let me just say this last thing by way of intro. If you are here, and I speak this to those of you that are new, but also if you've been coming here for a while, if you are here and you are open to what God's word says, and you have a humility, and you are in community with other people, and you are not just someone that kind of visits occasionally, but you are pushing in to God's people here in the church, I strongly believe that your marriage can and will be better. That's a big value of ours as a church. That if you are here and you're receptive and you're in community and you're pushing into what God says and you're humble and you're open with your life, your marriage will be better. That is something we value a lot here at True Life. So let's look at what God's pattern is for marriage. We'll read the whole thing and then come back to the specific parts that deal with wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, 
just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's a quote from Genesis, the first book of the Bible. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Let's start with this. This is the same outline that we had last week, in case any of you uh, follow that kind of thing. What is a wife's calling? What is a wife's calling? And in a word, it's simple. He says, wives, submit. And again, wives are to submit to their husbands. The husband is called to be the head or the leader in his home. And the word that he gives for wives is to submit to the leadership of the husband. Now, here's what I know. Some of you are already thinking about your exit. You're already going, how can I think about, I really have to go to the bathroom or, you know, hello? Yes. Oh, it's an emergency. I need to go. Okay. So I know some of you are already thinking that, right? When anyone hears the word submission, no one gets warm fuzzies about that word. It's kind of like the IRS. No one's like, oh, I love the IRS. No one hears that word. Whether you're a man or a woman, no one hears the word submission. It's just like, that's one of my favorite words. I just love the word submission. You don't see t-shirts and campaigns that say the future is submission, right? It's the future is female. You don't hear anyone saying things that's just like, I love submission. You don't look on dating profiles and people say, looking for a submissive wife like that. You don't see that, right? It, it's, it is, you guys are laughing because it's, it's laughable to us. I actually looked up this morning because I was just like, I wonder what Google says, because it's this bastion of of marriage and family uh, health. And so I just Googled, uh, is, should a wife submit to her husband? And a couple of the articles that came up were from like marriage.com and kind of some, I don't know, just like psychology today or some places. And it listed out like seven signs of, of submissive woman or seven signs of a submissive wife or 10 signs of a submissive wife. But it read like a WebMD article. It was like, these are signs, like seven signs you have hemorrhoids. It, it was not like a, it wasn't a good thing. It was like, here's seven signs that you might go, oh no, I might be submissive. It was these negative things. So it's not something we look at and go, I just, I love this, right? Whether you are male or female, it's usually not a part of the Bible that we gravitate towards. And think about this during, uh, especially kind of during the height of the pandemic, a lot of people were saying things like, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, right? Now that's right from the Bible. There's certain Bible verses that we can like pull out and go, yes, people kind of universally like those. Sometimes turn the other cheek or love your neighbor. But no one would ever pull this Bible verse out and just be like, yes, submit to your husband. That's just a, a general thing. The city of Arvada, submit to your husband. Like that, that wouldn't happen, right? There's parts of the Bible we do that with. And then there's parts that we come to and go, this just, I don't like it. I'm embarrassed by it. I might hate it. I might be really challenged by it. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. I want to tell you a few different reasons and then look at what it means. One of the reasons that we kind of cringe at that idea or that concept or that 
word, or if you invited a friend to church today and you're like, dang it, why didn't I check in Ephesians? That's your fault. You got to come to church more regularly because last week I said what was going to happen. So here's one of the reasons. It's been abused and mistreated. There have been evil men. There have been people that have abused, even within the church, that have abused, mistreated women, mistreated their wives in the name of submission. So that's one reason. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've just heard of that. Maybe you just know that that can be done. That's one reason. A second reason is it's just completely outside our cultural framework. It's just very different from how our culture thinks, especially kind of Western European culture. It's very There's still cultures in the world today that you can go to where this wouldn't get any laughs, that it's very normal. But in our Western European culture, it feels way outside of our cultural framework. We have certain values in our culture, and we tell stories, and we write music, and we have movies, and we have literature that kind of create those values, but also bolster those values. This is not one of them. Submission in general is not one of them. Like, just take away the women part for a minute. There's not... There's not a value in our culture of submission to any authority. That's not something that we think and prize of like, yes, it's very good to be submissive in your work or to your country or to your parents or to your husband. That's not a value of submitting your will. Freedom is our value. Doing what you want is our value. Submitting only to your heart is our value, right? So the idea is just very outside of our cultural framework. But you have to know this, the Bible always corrects cultures. If the Bible is God's word, then we would imagine that there's going to be things in a culture that agree with it and things that counteract it. And then in this culture, there's going to be things that agree with it and counteract it. Like forgiveness here is something in America that people would say, yeah, we really value forgiveness. Even in a non-Christian environment, there's studies and counselors and therapies that are all about forgiveness. That's a value that we have. Now, a stated value that might, I'm not saying we are a very forgiving culture necessarily, but that is like a stated thing we would agree with or love your neighbor. There are other cultures where forgiveness isn't really a value and that judgment and wrath is more of a value. So there's always going to be places where the Bible corrects cultures. We cannot just think that our Western European framework is what's correct and is what is right. So that's a second reason that it becomes difficult is because it's very just outside of our cultural framework. Third reason that this becomes difficult is maybe even if you want to approach the Bible and you go, well, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't want to just kind of just hate this word. I, I want to listen to what the Bible says. And yet people can sometimes read the Bible and say something like, well, that was just their culture in their time, but we live in a different culture in a different time. And so that was just kind of a culturally located teaching or statement. So Paul made, sometimes uh, the Bible will say something like, greet one another with a holy kiss. And so we go, well, you know, we did have a greeting time a minute ago. I didn't see any of you kissing. You might've, I didn't, you know, maybe you put up your hand and you kissed someone. I didn't, I might've missed it. But we would probably look at that and go, yeah, that was a culturally located thing. Still, if you go to the Middle East, kissing is common, even among males, uh, two males. It's like there are cultural things that are present. And so sometimes we can come to the Bible with something like this and say, that's just cultural. That's not what is supposed to be today. The problem with that is the way you have to discern anything in the Bible, you can't just say, I like this one. So it's for always. 
I don't like this one, so it's cultural. You can't just do that. You have to look at the text itself and say, how is it presenting itself? And the way that Paul presents this, his arguments for it, is rooted in, I said the same thing with husbands, it's rooted in two things. It's rooted in the relationship with Christ in the church. That means this is beyond culture. This is rooted in an eternal and deep spiritual reality. And then it's also rooted in creation. This is a quote from Genesis of how God designed man and woman. So he roots it in the relationship between Christ and the church, and he roots it in creation itself. Those are things that are outside of culture. The same way that we wouldn't want to say, yeah, loving your wife, that's just cultural. Today, I can treat my wife however I want. Like, how do you decide what's cultural and what's not cultural? Well, you look for clues in the text, and one of them is, what is it being grounded in? And this is grounded in creation and the relationship of Christ and the church. Third, or fourth, excuse me, reason why this might be difficult even when we look at the Bible. Some people will say something like this. Well, the Bible actually teaches mutual submission. It teaches mutual submission. Everybody just submits to everybody. And so wives aren't really supposed to submit to their husbands. Everybody just submits to everybody, okay? And so if you look at, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. He says, this is about a, a different section that we were looking at, but he says, uh, be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So it says submitting to one another. So some people take that and go, look, see, everybody submits to everybody. The problem with that is this. He says submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And then from there, he goes, wives, submit to your husbands. And then he's going to list out several different relationships that we'll look at in the coming weeks where there is a call of submission. After today, we're going to look at parents and children. And he tells children to obey their parents. After that, it talks about, it talks about the relationship between slaves and masters or employees and employers. And he talks about these various relationships and where there's submission in the relationship. Pa children are never called to lead their parents. Parents are never called to submit to their children. That would be chaos, right? <laughs> like, you now need to submit to me and give me all your technology, right? That would be chaos. So when he says submitting to one another, that doesn't mean everybody submits to everybody. What it means is submit to one another in the proper way of these various relationships. Employees submit to their employers. Citizens are supposed to submit to their government. If it's honoring God, there's the right ordering of relationships. Every single time the Bible talks about marriage, which it talks about multiple times, go check me if you, you know, these days I'm not the only one. It's not like 2,000 years ago and I'm the only one with a, a scroll. You can go Google it. Every, every single time the Bible talks about marriage, it talks about husbands leading wives submitting. So there's never a time where it says, husbands, submit to your wives. It never changes that. So just because it starts with this doesn't mean that that means everybody submits to everybody. It means submit in the various relationships we're going to talk about in the right way. That's what it means. And the places where it doesn't use the language of submitting to one another, it uses just shorter statements of wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. It uses just kind of shorthand. So all of those reasons, though, that people can come to this word, whether it's just a general dislike, cultural framework, thinking the Bible's just kind of culturally located here, or even kind of taking that mutual submission idea and saying, uh, yeah, I don't like it. 
And I know that was a lot, but I, I had to spend time doing that because this is something that is very different for us, right? If I'm talking about love your neighbor, I don't have to spend four reasons why we struggle or don't want to love our neighbor. We're just going to go, yeah, love your neighbor. That makes sense. And then explain what it looks like, okay? So I'd spend some time doing that. So sorry if that feels kind of, uh, you know, luxury or kind of too educational for you, but need to help build a framework for what we're looking at. So what is a wife's calling? Paul says to submit to her husband. What does that mean? What does it mean to submit? I like the way that pastor, author John Piper says it. Actually, I heard that Piper's favorite picture is this. Uh, <clears throat> but, but what he says is submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. It's the disposition to follow a husband's authority and an inclination to yield to his leadership. I'm just going to leave that there for a second. So divine calling of a wife to honor, affirm. So there's a lot of attitude stuff here, her husband's leadership, and help carry it through according to her gifts. It's an attitude that says, I delight for you to take the initiative in our family. I'm glad when you take responsibility for things and lead with love. I don't flourish in the, relation, in the relationship when you are passive and I have to make sure the family works. That's what it means for a wife to submit to her husband. That is what a wife's calling is. It's a disposition to honor, affirm her husband's leadership. That's what it is. Now, we'll explain kind of some more dimensions of that, but that's essentially what it is. It says, I, I want you to lead. And when your husband is taking initiative and when he is leading, it says, I delight in this. I want this. I'm, I'm responsive to this. Wives, this is what God has given you as your calling in marriage. Have you bought the lie that that's inferior? Have you bought the lie that God's design is wrong and that is repressive? Have you bought that lie? Have you believed that it's better to resist leadership in your home and instead to take over? This is the calling that God gives to wives in a marriage. Listen, it's a calling that God gives, which means when you step into that, God honors it, values it. The same way we step into any of the callings that God gives to us. God says, yes, this is what I designed you for. Yes, this is what I called you to. Anytime we step into anything God has called us to, ladies, God has given you this calling and God honors it, values it, says it's beautiful, says you glorify and worship him as you step into this. So this is why you have to begin with this. Do I trust God? Do I trust God's word and what God says? Do I trust God's vision? Do I trust what he says? Do I want his vision or the world around me's vision? And step one is just to embrace God's word. That's step one. What is a wife's calling? To submit to her husband as a God-honoring call. Second thing, how does a wife live out her calling? What are the dimensions of this? Let's kind of give shape to some of the things that Paul says. And Paul spends a lot more time on the husband and what that looks like and how that plays itself out, less time on the wife, and yet still there's some things here we can look at. Here's some things he says. The first is, wives submit to your husbands. Other translations will say, wives submit to your own husbands, because that's what the word is saying. 
wives submit to your own husbands. Not wives submit to all husbands that are out there or women submit to men. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says wives submit to your husbands. This is not a general statement about men and women. It is that within marriage, we have callings. Within marriage, we have roles and responsibilities and vocations, really, that God gives to us. So what this means, first of all, is ladies, if you're single, choose wisely. Secondly, it means submit to your husbands, not just a man in general. So when you are thinking of what does this look like for me, don't just think about, I wonder what it means to submit. I should read a blog and, and you know, maybe some of those things are helpful or I should read this or I, you should think about your husband and who is he and think about what it looks like to affirm his leadership and honor his leadership and carry it out according to your gifts. Think about the specificity of it. Second thing that Paul gives to us, and this really carries a lot of the weight of this text. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Not saying that your husband is your Lord or that he replaces Jesus, but in the way that you would submit to Jesus, submit to your husband. This carries a lot of weight, and it means a lot of things, and it's actually very helpful. Because here's what it means to begin with. It's not based on your husband. It's not, okay, I submit to him if he's not an idiot. As long as he's not stupid or doing things that I don't think he should do, then I'll submit to him. As long as he does what I tell him to do, I will submit to him. That's not what it means. It also doesn't mean that you follow him into sin. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord means that Jesus is first. So you cannot submit to your husband as to Jesus if your husband is leading you into sin, because then you wouldn't be submitting to him as you're submitting to Jesus. So his leadership can never replace the leadership of Jesus. And that might sound like a scenario that is uh, crazy, like what husband would do something like that. And yet I've seen that happen multiple times, that a husband would say, let's not go to church, for instance, or a husband would say, Let's, I, I need you to lie for me about this, or I need you to cover this up, or let's watch porn together, or all sorts of various things that a husband would lead his wife into sin. And maybe because she is trying to be a godly wife would say, well, okay, I guess I'm supposed to submit to you. No, you're not. You're supposed to submit as to the Lord, which means you honor and love Jesus, your Lord. And if your husband's leadership is in line with that, then you follow along with him but you do not usurp the lordship of Jesus in your life. He is your Lord first, foremost. Which means also this, that you have appeals. You have appeals to the governing authorities that God has given. That if your husband is leading in a sinful way, if he is abusive, if he's using the name of submission in a wrong way, if he is trying to get you to sin, you can appeal to other authorities that God has given, such as the church, such as the police. Not the police if he's like not helping around the house or something, but you could try that. <clears throat> so it begins with, as to the Lord, which means not following him into sin. Third, as to the Lord, helps us see 
that this is about your relationship with God, first and foremost. Same way that we talk about with the husbands, that it's an act that you are doing to Jesus. You are loving God, honoring God, seeking to trust God as to the Lord, and therefore your submission to your husband is a submission to God because you are saying, God, I trust you. It might be difficult. You might say, this is hard. This is challenging, but I am submitting to you, God. I trust you, and I am seeking to honor you, God, and I'm seeking to love you, and I'm seeking to obey you, and so therefore I step into the calling that you have given to me. So it's actually primarily about your relationship with God. You are saying, I trust you. I'm going to honor you. I know that you bless obedience. I know that you are with me because this is a calling that you are giving to me. And so it's something that starts with you and God. Fourth, it means, and similarly, fourth, it means that your strength comes from God to do this. If it is as to the Lord, all of this means your submission, your honoring, affirming his leadership, carrying out according to your gifts is going to be based first foremost in your relationship with God, which means this, ladies, it's the same thing I said to husbands last week. The best thing you can do for your marriage is work on your relationship with God. Because to live out the pattern for your marriage starts with your relationship with God. Third category that Paul gives to us is as the church submits to Christ, wives submit to their husbands. This reminds us that we are all called to be submissive. If you are a Christian, you are part of the church, which means Paul is saying the church submits to Christ, which means if you are the manliest, nobody can tell me what to do. I'm not truly defining that as masculinity, but if you are the manliest, nobody can tell me what to do, man, you are still called to be a submitter. Because if you are a part of the church, you are called to submit to Christ. We are all called to submission. We're all called, if you are the church, we're all called to learn to trust, to follow. We're all called to affirm and honor Christ's leadership in our life and carry it out according to our gifts. We're all called to submission to Jesus. Submission might not be a value in our culture, but it is a deep value and virtue within Christianity. The call to lay down one's life, the call to humility, the call to let the first be last, the call to welcome the least of these, the call to be like a child in accepting the kingdom of God into our life, the call to submission is a huge virtue within Christianity. In fact, humility itself, I could preach a whole sermon on this, humility itself was not a virtue until the time of Jesus. Jesus and Christianity brought in the virtue of humility. It was not something that was valued. So submission is a value that we all have. The church is called to submit to Christ. I want, and I, I believe if you're a Christian, you do too, but I want to align my life under God. I want to submit my life to God because I trust him. And I know that he is better than me and he's wiser than me. And so I want to submit to his authority. I want that. I'm not saying I do that perfectly, but I want to submit because we have a good and loving father that leads us. We have a good and loving Lord who leads us. This is not a bad thing. It's actually a glorious thing. 
And all of us are called to this. Paul says that wives, you have an honor of actually displaying this in a beautiful way. The marriage is this picture of Christ in the church. And that we are all, if you're a Christian, the church, so we all submit. But within a marriage, wives have this honor to play the role. It's kind of like a dance or a a part that we play, different people playing different characters. But wives have the part that plays the church and says, here is what beautiful submission looks like. Something that we're all called to, but within a marriage, wives have the part to play to say, look, humility, submission is actually a beautiful thing. You are highlighting one of the virtues that God gives to all of us. And God is saying, within marriage, I let that shine forth from you. I let the glory of submission actually shine from you in marriage. Something that all of us are called to, God gives the part to wives to let be on particular display within a marriage. You picture the beauty, God's wisdom, within marriage, within the gospel. How does the church, Paul says that as the church submits to Christ, wives submit to your husbands. How does the church submit to Christ? Well, first, it's not fearful or begrudging. We should not submit to God like, okay, God, I'll do what you say, but uh, we should submit to God joyfully, wanting to obey, wanting to follow him. And the submission in your marriage should look joyful, not begrudging, not fearful. That's not the picture that God wants for you. He wants a submission that is God-hearted and willing and delights to honor and affirm the leadership. Is that your heart? That's what God's heart is for you. That's what he wants you to experience. Secondly, as the church submits to Christ, we do not submit to Christ silently. Think about that. God, Christ, is our leader. And yet, we ask him things. We appeal to him. In prayer, we come to him and say, would you do this? Can you do this? Will you change this? God, I don't understand this. We, and he invites that. He says, come and talk to me. He even says, come annoy me. There's parables that Jesus gives of the person that's the persistent person just continually and says, yes, pray like that. God asks us to come to him constantly, bringing our requests, bringing our needs, talking to us. We try to influence God. I don't know if you think about it that way, but we try as the church to influence God. So as the church submits to Christ, doesn't mean silent, passive, keep your mouth shut. It means influence. It means speak. It means, that's different between Christ and the church in some ways, but it means to counsel. It means to think. It means to offer opinions. Think about the way that the church submits to Christ. That is the dimension that Paul gives to us. And third, the way the church submits to Christ is not waiting, but proactively. Like if you are the church, God has given you gifts, God's given you his will, and you don't wait every day going, God, what should I do in this situation? God, what should I do here? God, what should I do here? What do I do today? What do I do today? I better check with you. That's not what you do. You take the gifts that God's given you, you take God's will that he's revealed to you, and you seek to proactively live that out. In the same way, wives are not to just kind of wait on the micromanaging direction of every step that their husband gives to them. That would not be the way the church submits to Christ. It's to take the gifts that God's given you, take the desires and the passions that God's given you, and to follow and honor and affirm the leadership of your husband, but proactively. Is that the way that you 
come into your marriage? Is that the way you think about it? Do you speak and, and seek to influence in a good way your husband as we do to God in prayer? Is that how you think of what submission is? When Paul gives to us as the church submits to Christ, that is part of the dimensions that he has given. He also says, wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Well, that word everything is qualified by all the other things that have come before it, as in everything that is not sin, everything that is within the bounds of the Bible, everything that is wise and not foolish. The Bible includes a lot of things. So is your husband leading you into sin? Is your husband leading you into foolishness that would go against the book of Proverbs and other wisdom that God gives to us? So there are qualifications. And at the same time, I think Paul adds this word in here to say, it's not just the things that you think it should be. It's not just, well, okay, uh, the garage is really his domain. So whatever he says there goes. It's not that. It is the general direction of his leadership in everything. And then the final area that Paul gives when he says, let me sum it all up, he says the wife is to respect her husband. Now, it's interesting because when he sums up the husband, he uses the same language that he already used. So he spends time saying wives, or excuse me, husbands, love your wives, and he spends all this time talking about love. But when he speaks to the wives, he says, wives, submit to your husbands and spend some time talking about submission. But then when he sums it up, he says, respect. And that's because respect is one of the main fruits of submission, of what it actually looks like, is a respectful demeanor and posture. This is interesting. There, it really is true if you think about this, for most people, that what a wife really wants from a husband is love. What a husband really wants from his wife is respect. That really is true in most cases. I'm sure there's someone that breaks the stereotype there, but that really is true in most cases. That you should, in some ways, write your wife a love note, but you should write your husband a respect note. Because if you say to your husband how much you love him and you just feel such warm, tender feelings for him, he might say, yeah, thank you. But if you write him a respect note saying, thank you for doing this. I really see you working at this. Here's some of your abilities that I really want to honor. That's going to mean a lot. Sometimes we get this wrong because we, we do it the way that we want it. We, we treat other people the way that we like and miss Paul's wisdom here that it actually is ancient wisdom and yet is so relevant even to most everybody today would fit into this. Listen, let me just tell you this, ladies. You have so much power. You have so much power. I have rarely seen, it's happened, but I've rarely seen a man, excuse me, I've rarely seen a woman change a bunch because of a man. I've rarely seen a woman that's like all of a sudden just totally changed because of a man. But I have seen many men that are radically changed because of a woman, that are radically changed, usually starting with their appearance and then, you know, everything else. So I've seen that happen over and over again. You have a ton of power. And the more respect that you use, I'm not saying in a manipulative way, but the more that you respect a man, the more power you have. And here's a little secret. Guys crave respect. They crave it from other men. They crave it from their fathers. 
They crave respect. They crave it from their employers, coworkers. Crave it. It's a drug. They crave it. And if you respect your husband, that is one of the most powerful things that you can do. And it will build him up and lift him up and change him in a ton of different ways. Now, I'm, again, I'm not speaking to the husband. So if you're like, that's not fair. Why are you just talking to us and what we're supposed to do? I spent a whole sermon last time talking about husbands loving their wives and the power of cherishing your wife. There is a deep power that husbands have to cherish their wives and to love them and lay their life down like Christ and to lead them that does lead to a flourishing in a wife. So, yes, but I'm speaking to you today, ladies. So to respect your husband. I think you can think about this in a few different ways with respect. First, how do you think about him? What fills your mind about your husband? Is it his faults, his flaws, the things that he's not doing? Or do you cultivate in your mind? I'm not saying you're blind. I'm not saying you're dishonest. But do you cultivate respectful thoughts? It may be even helpful to make a list of here are the things that I respect about my husband. To help your mind think on what is good and true and lovely, as Paul says elsewhere. Do you speak respectfully to him? Or are you constantly critical, criticizing, nagging? Or do you thank? encourage, build up? Do you speak respectfully about him? I have heard many ladies, I'm trying not to make eye contact with anyone so you don't think I'm talking about you, but, but as a speaker, it's my job also to make eye contact. So this is a very difficult position to be in, right? I've heard many ladies that have said, <laughs> that are disrespectful to their husbands, jokingly most of the time, Oh, he did this, he did that, he said that. Sometimes it's to the kids, disrespectful to their kids. Oh, your dad this, oh, your... Do you use your words to respect him, to him and about him towards others? We should never be speaking ill of our spouses, even playfully. Do you act respectfully? Do you show that you want to affirm and follow his leadership? Or do you forget the things that he asks? Do you interrupt him when he speaks? Do you dismiss, oh, he doesn't really know what he's talking about? Or do you act in a respectful way, treating him as weighty? I love the way this woman, this is a book that Sarah and I read in our pre-marriage uh, process ourselves. And this is Betsy Ricucci. This is a great book if you want. <clears throat> She says this, asking, kind of just assessing for you ladies on respect. Am I more aware of my husband's deficiencies or his strengths? Am I more inclined to criticize my husband, whether verbally or in my heart, or commend him? Have I failed to express respect for my husband because I'm so concerned about a particular area of sin in his life? Have I ever thought, if I encourage him in one area, will he think I'm condoning everything else he does that's wrong? These are some good assessment questions to think about. Are you respecting your husband? So let me give some words to some different groups. If you are a single woman, you can begin cultivating these things with God. Because as the church submits to Christ, and as you submit to your Lord, all of this starts with us and God. So if you're a single woman and hope to one day be married, you begin cultivating these things with God. The posture of submission, again, is a Christian virtue, not just a wife virtue. 
so you can begin to cultivate these things with God. And the Bible says, and I strongly urge you to obey God's instructions, if you are to get married, you want a man that you can submit to, which means that the Bible talks about being unequally yoked, that you are to be with a man that is a Christian, that leads you towards God's vision for your life, which can only happen with someone that shares the gospel picture of marriage that Paul is saying here. Second, for those of you that are single men, look for a woman that would follow your leadership. If she disrespects you, doesn't want to follow you in anything, probably not the one for you. And yourself grow in being a submissive person to Jesus. So you understand the difficulties of that. So you understand what it looks like. So you understand what it means. We're all called to submit to Christ. And for both groups of people, as I said in the beginning, learn to be good friends to those that are married. A single person is not just someone waiting to be married. Sometimes when we talk about singles, it's like a condition, like shingles. It's like, oh, yes, the singles, yes. But you, you are not just a person waiting to be married but you are a person in community and oftentimes you're in community with a bunch of married people. Be a good godly friend. You know what the Bible says. You can encourage them towards it and you submit to Christ. For those of you that are husbands, you might view, especially if you were here last week, you might view, okay, this is my job. This is her job. This is my calling. This is her calling. There's a sense in which that's true. And yet, because you are the head of the home, all of it is actually your job which means you are called to pray for your wife, to love your wife, to serve your wife, to help her with all the qualifiers of not being demeaning, abusive, et cetera, et cetera, that I've already said, but you are called to help her grow in this aspect of God's calling in her life. All of it is yours. If you have a wife that is completely disrespectful and unsubmissive, you don't get to just go, oh, my stupid wife. It's actually your job to lead your home, to become a place that honors God in all the aspects. So. Again, the weight falls upon you. Pray for your wife. Love your wife. Become a man that is worthy of submitting to. That makes it easy. Look, you, if, you're a, if you're a husband, you should want it to be as easy. It's easy. In some sense, it's easy to submit to Jesus because he doesn't ever make any mistakes. He's perfectly wise, perfectly powerful, perfectly loving. We men are not. So... <laughs> So we should try and seek to make it as easy as possible to follow our leadership, which goes back to following Jesus, seeking to be molded, shaped by him. So men, that's the word for you, husbands. Wives, if it's easy to submit to your husband, thank him. If it's easy to follow his leadership, thank him, encourage him. Confess. If it's a struggle for you, if it's a struggle for you, whether your husband's great or bad, confess to him and to God if it's a struggle for you. Ladies, for those of you that it is hard to submit to your husband because your husband isn't following Jesus the way he should be, which exists, talk to him. If he's in sin, talk with him respectfully, kindly, lovingly, but talk with him. And if there is sin that is to a level that needs intervention, then bring in other people to that. If your husband is abusive or trying to get you to sin or cover up his sin 
or is continuing in sin, get help. That is not unsubmissive. That is wise and godly. All of us need to seek to learn to submit to God. Ladies, what if you were a fountain of respect? What would happen in your marriage? What would happen to your husband if you were a fountain of respect? Just the same way that I could say to the men, what would happen if you were a fountain of love and cherishing and all the things of God? What would happen if you were a fountain of respect? This is the beautiful call that God gives to you. Last thing, where does the wife get strength for her calling? And we've already touched on this, but I want you to see it again. This is all rooted in the way that we relate to God. You are never able to do this. You are never able to do this if you don't honor and trust God first. The power for your ability to submit, to follow leadership, to respect, to be a fountain, all comes from your relationship with God. Do you trust him? Do you love him? Do you want to honor him? Do you see his character? Do you see who he is? Do you see how valuable he is? And because of that, you want to step into what he gives to you. God is saying, you can trust me. I love you. I care for you. You can trust me. And the more that you experience that, the more that all of our character traits flow out from that. And then secondly, also back to this verse that we looked at, being filled by the Spirit, it speaks of all these things that we, I talked about this a, a few weeks ago, but all these things that are fruit of being filled by the Spirit, singing, making music, giving thanks. But one of them was submission. If you want to be a submissive wife in the way that God calls you to, that begins with being filled by the Spirit. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And to be filled by the Spirit, you can go back a couple weeks ago and hear the sermon on that. But in part, what that means is you are more full of who he is. But when Paul has used this language of fullness, it is you're full of God's character. You're full of God's love. You're reminded again and again who he is and what he's done for you. And you are full of that. You see how much God loves you. You see how much he's for you. You see what he's done for you. You're full of that. And then the fruit of that is all sorts of things, giving thanks, submission. God wants to show you who he is that then leads to our calling, our vocation in various ways. So we want to follow God's vision of marriage, to experience not just what the world around us, but the beautiful, wise, powerful, enduring vision that God gives to us. When we take communion, which we're going to do in just a moment, if you're a Christian and you didn't grab one of those little cups on the way in, you can grab one of those. But during communion, we, what we are remembering is actually this beautiful truth <clears throat> that Jesus himself submits. It's not just that God calls us to submit, though he does, but Jesus himself submits his will to the Father. Jesus is the, the, the vision, the picture of perfect submission. Jesus in the garden before he is crucified says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Everything that Jesus did, he said, I submit my will to the Father. Jesus lived out submission perfectly. Why? To save us. To bring us into his family. He, he submitted himself to the point of death. His body broken, represented in the bread, and his blood shed, represented in the juice. 
that Jesus submitted himself so that we would have life. And because of that, as we take communion, we can remember, I can trust the one that submitted his life for me. I can trust the one that submitted himself to me, for me, not to me, for me. I can submit myself, my calling, my role. I can submit because he submitted first. I can trust him. So as you take communion, wives, if you need to confess to God where, where you've sinned in this area, confess to God. Husbands, if you need to confess to God as we've covered this two weeks now, confess to God and receive his forgiveness, receive his grace. He forgives every failure as a husband, every failure as a wife, every sin, every foolishness, he forgives. And he makes new and he changes. So receive that today. And then seek to live into the pattern that he has given to us. And if the next step for you is to get help or to talk to somebody, please do that. Let's seek to grow in stepping into God's pattern for marriage and experience the beautiful design that he has made. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for loving us. Jesus, I thank you that you submitted yourself to us, for us, so that we would have life with you, forgiveness from you, family with you. God, I pray for all of the wives here that they would submit to their husbands as to you. They would have a deep-rooted relationship with you that overflows into the way they relate with their husbands. Help us all as your church, Jesus, to submit to you. Give us hearts that are joyful and proactive and desiring to submit to you. Give us that humility as your people, God. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.